G'day and welcome to a Grad Chat, your opportunity to find out about graduate research here at Queen's. My name is CJ the DJ and I am your host for this week's a Grad Chat. Of course, a show like this could not happen without the support of the School of Graduate Studies and CFRC, so thank you very much to both of them. Now, if your mates miss the show at any time, you can download the podcast the next day on either iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify or Stitcher. So no excuse not to hear what our awesome students and postdoctoral fellows are doing. But today, I would like to introduce you to Saskia DeWilt, who is doing a PhD in Environmental Studies under the co-supervision of Dr. Graham Whitelaw and Dr. Stephen Lockheed. Welcome to Grad Chat, Saskia. Thank you. Great to be here. <laughs> <laughs> now, the good news is Saskia is currently in the Netherlands. So this is my first transatlantic interview, you, you could say, but which is really great that you were still able to come on the show. So thank you very much for that. But I guess the obvious question there is, why are you in the Netherlands? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I think the obvious answer there is as well, um, COVID. I mean, I... Right, I, right. I lived in Kingston and I lived um, yeah, I lived in Canada and I was really enjoying it as well. Um, but yeah, I think after, like, uh, I tried for a really long time in COVID as well. So I, I stuck it out for a year and a half more. Um, and then right. this last summer I moved back. It's yeah. just, yeah, you know, living in a small apartment that wasn't meant for me to spend like 24 hours a day, seven hours, uh, or seven days a week. In. Right, right. Which, which which makes total sense. And I do remember when we were doing either our first or second boot camp, virtual boot camp, uh, you were home at that stage as well, And which is not easy where there's a six-hour time difference <laughs> so, <laughs> when we're starting at nine o'clock in the morning, which is what, what's that mean, two, no, three o'clock in the afternoon, so... Um, which I thought was really, really good that you, you gave that a go. So thank you for doing that. And it makes total sense. I know there's a few people who have managed to go home, even within Canada, you know, staying in BC or in the eastern provinces. So it totally makes sense. And I'm hoping it's a bit warmer for you there than it is here. Although I heard, you know, what is nice about the Netherlands is always the skating and things on your canals. And, of course, the Rideau Canal this year is actually open uh, in Ottawa for for Canadians to skate on. So I don't know if you're a skater, but if you are, I hope you're enjoying it. We, we're having a very mild winter. So oh. <laughs> okay. Nothing wrong with that climate change, is there? Yeah. <laughs> so the other thing is, uh, Saskia, I've been reading some of your articles, and i sorry, it sounds like I've been snooping, but I do like to do a bit of background research before I do these interviews. And I looked on your LinkedIn page, and I actually find them fascinating because – I read some, like I said, I read some of the articles and I read one about questions to ask before using maps in your storytelling, which really made me think about what I will see the next time I look at a map. And it seems storytelling is very important to your day-to-day life. So why is that? Why is storytelling important to you? I think it's just the way how I move through the world. My my mom is an amazing storyteller. So I I just grew up with, with many stories from her. Right. And I moved into working in the film industry in the Netherlands. So I, before I went to Queens, I worked for more than a decade as an art director in film. And then traveled also quite a lot. Right. And I just think that, that you know, stories are, are just a great medium to also, like, engage people, first of all. So Yes. Yeah. And, and I think that, that goes to show, even in when we're chatting, 
somehow we get back to some sort of story that reminds us of something or something we've heard before from family members or good friends and, and things like that. So storytelling is, I mean, I know for me, storytelling is important. I love listening to family history and, and things like that. So I can imagine you, particularly if you're in film. So what made you go into the film industry in when you're in the Netherlands? Because uh, that was, is that your undergrad was your film? Yeah, yeah. So I did a Bachelor's of Arts in um, Production Design, is, right. is what it's usually called. And that's just something, uh, you know, as a kid, I, I, I love movies. So I just knew from a very young age that, that that's what I wanted to do. And then right. I, I used to draw always. I'm a very visual person as well. Um, and then, you know, I just merged the two. So right. Drawing and visual arts and, um, yeah, out bold art direction. <laughs> so that's, <laughs> that's what I pursued. Um but, but it's also like, even though now I don't work in film anymore, that is just the way that, you know, it's, I'm a very visual thinker and I am a chatterbox. Right? So, so like, <laughs> I think, yeah, it's, it's, it's the way that I engage with people as well and with research. It's, with research. Yeah. So that brings me actually to your research because from going from film and now you're looking at polar bears, mm. big difference in my opinion, <clears throat> but maybe not. And so your research topic is, Exploring polar bear research as ethical space, practice, and process of engagement uh, between science and indigenous knowledge, which I think actually is a really good title for you, for your research. So we're looking more of the space, and if, if I'm understanding this correctly, uh, how the how science and indigenous knowledge can work together for better practices looking after the polar bear population or management of polar bears. And I know we have other people in biology who are working on polar bears and things looking at management. So clearly you're coming from a different angle of that. So before I go into actually questions, can you just give me a bit of an overview of what are you talking about in that particular title? Yeah. Because so, looking at spatial and things, people might need to understand that a little bit more. Right. So basically, when you talk about ethical space, practice and process, this theory where uh, when you want to relate different ways of knowing, so in this case, uh, biological science and Inuit knowledge, which is referred to as Inuit Wajimaya Bukwange. Okay, I'm getting better at it now. <laughs> <laughs> Much better than I would have done, that's for sure. <laughs> So the way that, that people often try to bring together these different ways of knowing through integration, right? But when you relate to different ways of knowing by integrating it into science, it becomes a bit appropriate. So when you approach this, this question of bringing knowledge together through the ethical space of engagement, what you basically do is you first kind of like um, disentangle this, these relationships and you take a little bit of distance. Right. Um, and you open up this space between these two groups or two cultures or two bodies of knowledge. And it's that space that opens up between these two entities that you can then negotiate on which terms you you come back together into that relationship. Right? Okay, so, so. right. That's fascinating because most people wouldn't think of pulling it apart first to then find a way to get back together. They would just go full head of head head of steam and let's just figure this out but they don't think about necessarily thinking about separating the two first yeah well you could also think about it as as decolonizing right it's decolonizing right. certain relationships so and that right. that also requires making space pulling back stepping aside all these things 
but you know when when you start by saying decolonizing because it's such an encompassing concept it wouldn't necessarily directly apply to when you ask me about like what do you mean with like an ethical space or a process right Right. the other other thing that approaching these relationships through an ethical space of engagement is that you you don't look as much to outcomes necessarily it's it's, um, in my research at least it's not the eventual coming together of knowledge and what comes out of that is, is not so much as interest to me as the conditions under which that happens Right. So right. it's much more about the process right. and building of these relationships. Um, so what made you want to use, look at this in with with polar bears management? Because you could have picked anything, couldn't you? Yes. Well, I'm. Oh, yeah. I do a lot of dogs. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry, I do too. <laughs> so how how I ended up here is actually because I'm I'm part of a larger project called Bear Watch. So. I ended up in this project uh, kind of by accident. Right. That's so often the way things happen, right? That's how <laughs> right place, place, right time. <laughs> yeah. You just go with it. You know, some, somebody that I met actually a decade, a decade ago was part of this project and posted something about it on Facebook. And I just sent her this message like, oh, this is amazing. I want to be part of that. And she passed on that message to Professor Graham Whitelaw. Right. And before I knew it, I was having a Zoom call with him, and a year later, I got here. So being part of a polar bear project, that was coincidental. But me uh, doing a PhD in Canada related to um, Indigenous knowledge and bringing together different groups, like so knowledge politics is one of the things that I'm very interested in. Right. And doing that, um, not necessarily in the global south, but rather in the global north, like a like a yeah so a, a western culture i guess um that's that was very deliberate um, right the fact right. that it was polar bears was completely accidental right and they're just gorgeous animals anyway they're very uh impressive yeah yeah, yeah i don't know if i want to get too close to them but yes they're impressive animals <laughs> okay so so i'm going to get onto some of these questions right so why is it important to relate Indigenous knowledge and science in conservation research and practice? Because let's face it, the polar bear habitat is diminishing. Mm-hmm. And with that comes more more problems for polar bears because they end up getting too close to uh, humans. And if they get too close to humans, then the first thing we, people try and do is, is move either move them or, or kill them, which is not a nice thing to do. So why is it important to relate the Indigenous knowledge and science and conservation research and practice? I think it's important for two reasons. And, it's, and that's not only limited to polar bears, right? I think mm-hmm. um, when you think about relating these kind of knowledges in conservation and, and a lot of our other challenges that, that we have uh, at this moment is that it's, it's about two things, justice and recognition, right? So it's on the one hand, it's it's this just relationship collaborating between different groups. Like science is incredibly important and valuable, but it's only one way of knowing. Right. And, and we need all the knowing that we can get, basically. Right? True, to, true. To deal with some of the challenges that we have. And Indigenous people have shown all over the world that you know, they're great guardians of our ecosystem, that they are able to build sustainable relationships with their environments. Um, you know, they're not perfect either, but, but you know, they've got a, a, a track record that um, 
at this point in a Western, in the academic institute or in like Western knowledge production, it's just undervalued. Right. Um, so if it were only just for the value of, of the knowledge that a lot of these peoples have, right, that, that's already in itself a really good reason to relate and, and to engage and have conversations and, you know, work with different people as more equal partners. Um, but a part of that as well is, is justice, right? Like, like right. having a seat at the table, being able to collaborate with us as equal partners. Yeah. So. Yeah, and I think, and, and you, you're right, and it's getting even more and more important that we should be looking at Indigenous knowledge because of everything that's going on. And, and I like the way you, you, you talked about how, you know, we not only listen, but they have to, we have to make sure they're at the table too. And I, and I think you're right, you, you know, science and Indigenous knowledge can work together, but we, unless everyone's around the table, it's not going to happen. Right, and I think especially in a discipline like conservation, right, in the history of conservation, a very big part of that narrative is that humans are actually not good for the environment, right? So, so like yes. lots of people say that we should just keep humans out out of out of nature altogether. But when you look at these like holistic ecosystems where people do live with nature um, and they they have balance as a very important value in in their ways of living, right? That shows you that. It's, it's not necessarily humans being the problem. It's a way of life, right? So right. The, the dominant systems that, that we live in, seeing nature as resources as opposed to being part of that. Right. So how are you finding out about how this process can work with the two different parties? So what are you doing? And, and I guess this is, you know, the value of exploring this process through arts-based research. Because mm-hmm. most people would think this is very sciencey, but you're not looking at the polar bear itself you're looking at the structure around it of that management yeah so i'm looking very much at relationships right like how do scientists relate to inuit how do these different ways of knowing relate um but i'm neither inuit nor biologist nor canadian so right um, (laughs) so what so really what's the added added value of having somebody like me in the project like bear watch right like looking at right questions and um, at the end of the day, I think, especially when you work in a, in a settler state like Canada, it's very important to look at your own positionality, look at who are you within these larger structures, you know, what, what do you touch, what do you not touch in, in research. Right. Um, yes. I think, so So what I eventually ended up at is um, seeing a very big role, thinking out of the box is, is I think, something that's quite important to have within research and science yeah Um, and that coming from an arts background is something that I can definitely contribute to this to this larger challenge of how do we bring these different ways of relating together and it's also in itself uh, applying an arts-based research it it breaks down certain other methods that might not be as appropriate in certain settings right approaching this through arts gives it this open-endedness that that you can then apply in the situation as it fits uh, with the people right. that you're with. No, I th- and I, I think you're right, that, not that you're saying that you're wrong, but you bring up a good point there. And one of the things that you said in the beginning of that, answering that question was that you're not Inuit, you're not Canadian, so why should you care about what's going on up there? But sometimes I think it's really, really important is to have an outsider looking in. So as you say, 
break apart what is going on to really sort of critically analyze, you know, what is this this group contributing? What's this group contributing? And how are they actually building that relationship together to make it work for whatever the, the situation is? So having an outsider brings a new perspective because you've got a clear perspective. You've got, you don't know what's going on. So you can just say, well, tell me this, tell me that. And so I think that's really, really 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 good great for the project and great the fact that you would you like polar bears too so <laughs> i'm sorry i had i had to keep putting that word and i love that word polar bear <laughs> so it's really nice that you've been allowed to do that i mean i know in environmental studies and uh, science and you know geography and biology there's lots of different angles to that both you know human geography and i guess you can have human environmental sciences and and so it's bringing that part in as opposed to what's happening on the ground, so to speak. So um, that's where the, you said the, you know, the arts part, the arts research base comes in. So that's you can, great. You can, you can also do that on the ground, right? That, that, that's True. part of the, of the research design as well. The other thing that it also brings is that once they're in the communities, so we were working on a certain topic and, at a certain point, we realized that writing an academic paper might not be the best way to represent the, the, the needs and the wishes of the community that we're working with. Right. So I was up there last summer. I had a chance to be in the Arctic for two months. For the great. Yeah, which was really great, especially in these times. And what I, what I ended up doing was actually collaborating with a lot of people in the communities, recording videos, uh, making collaborative graphic work. Uh, so, okay. so we're still producing certain audiovisual outputs that that were collaboratively produced with community members there. So it's it's a it's very much speaking from your own voice, your own culture, your own arts. Right? It's not right. so much remaking art. It's it's co-creating with them, right? Through their, through their mediums. So is that how you're going to show your research? Is through film and and things as opposed to writing a thesis per se is that how you're you're doing it it will likely be a combination of both because right. just just going with what we're doing right now it's it's we're also making a paper right but, right good but we're combining it with a motion graphic animated movie shorter video clips music a web page so brilliant multimedia output right Okay, so when this is just a sidebar, but when we I start opening this up, we're going to do something called Gradflix this summer, uh, two minute videos of about your research. So you'll have plenty of materials. <laughs> <laughs> I might have to get you to help train people of how to put a video together. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that, that, that's fantastic! So I really like that. So I guess the next question then is, how do you navigate working with Inuit and natural scientists as a settler immigrant and arts-based researcher? So you said you went up there, up, up north, which was fantastic. I'm assuming you, you, and you talked about you were able to talk to some of the Inuit people there. Did you talk to the scientists up there as well? Yeah, so I wasn't there by myself. We were there with, with a, a large group of the Bear Watch Project. Um, some of them stayed for a shorter time, other ones stayed for a longer time. I ended up being there for two months together with one of the principal investigators that you know has an ongoing relationship for 20 years there. Right. So, so the relationships that I've been able, or like the meetings that I've been able to have there were mediated by him, right? So right. Peter from Concordia de Groot is, is his name, so he's... he's um, 
partly from Fairwatch. So yeah, it's very much he has these long-standing friendships, right? And so he introduces to everybody. Really helpful, really helpful because I know that's that's the hardest part in the first place is you know why would uh, Inuit populations care about the rest of us or settlers coming in and wanting to talk to them and and things. So that's great that those relationships are already set up for you, which I imagine you've got lots of materials, as you said, to be able to write your, your paper. Have you finished your research part or are you still? No, I'm, I'm, I'm actually in very early stages of, uh, of my PhD still. So I'm hoping at the end of this month to pass my comprehensive exam. So Great. It's only after that that I can actually like officially gather data for, for my own research. Right. Right. So what I've been doing is I've I've been very active within the Bear Watch project. But and coming up with ideas that I guess you could put forward. Yeah. So COVID has been a double edged sword in that sense, right? Because it, because it did delay my first trip to the Arctic, which right. for the kind of work that I do is just very crucial. I yes. Can't you know, it, it needs to it needs to start with these conversations up north. Um, and part of my my proposal, I wanted that to be shaped through the conversations that I could have. Right, right. So not, not being able to go up there like really delayed that part of my research. Um, mm-hmm. but, but on the other hand, like it extended this this period of time where we had like a lot of conversations through Zoom and conference calls and you know back and forth and. So I've been able to build a kind of like remote relationship through that paper that we've been working on now for a year and a half. Right. right. Beyond the paper. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, so it's it's been a double-edged sword. Like my PhD got some delay, but the relationship building was definitely boosted a bit. And, And of course, one of the things that probably helps you too is that you're a Vanier scholar. So that's great to have you know, that kind of money behind you so you can really concentrate on all these things that you've been having to do, particularly during COVID times, which is not not an easy thing to do. So first of all, congratulations on that. Yeah, thank and, you. And, and how, how has that helped you? I mean, there's the obvious way is that you don't have to worry about trying to pick up other jobs and things to help with your funding. So how has it helped you, particularly now you're at home too, you're not here, you're not here in Canada? Yeah. So yeah. So it's it's been it's been a lifesaver to be honest. Well, at least a PhD saver, right? Yes. <laughs> because it it does give me that opportunity to the, the time that I've lost, you know, through COVID in the in the first year. Like it now gives me the opportunity to kind of like put that at the end of my PhD. So especially being an international student, not yes. not worrying too much about having to finish my PhD within the four years. Right. Um, Right. So, so yeah, it's really given me some some breathing space. I think that's most most of it kind of helped right. me concentrate, and it gave me the freedom to indeed work remotely. Right. Yes. But and I guess some of that also goes towards your you know trip to the Arctic and and things like that to help yeah. you with you know fund that. Yeah, yeah. It, it, yeah. I mean, most of that is also funded through the Bear Watch project. So. Okay. Which is great. That is great, and I think that's the that's the biggest advantage of working within a project, right? As a PhD student, both the relationships are already in place, right? Um, you know, there's a very clear infrastructure, um, and there's funds, especially if you work in a natural science project as a arts based researcher. You know, that's <laughs> a, humanities is usually not where the kind of money is where uh, that's natural science. Unfortunately, it's very true. So what are you expecting to, I mean, I know, like you said, you've got your comprehensives coming up, but 
what are you hoping to come out of this work? Um, yeah, that's a good question. So, like, I'm trying not to fill in too much the form beforehand, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, because I wanted to emerge in collaboration with uh, specifically the Inuit people that I'm working with. But a big part of Bear Watch at the end of the project, there's a there's a workshop where the idea is at least the proposal kind of like sets out that all the input and all the findings that that were done through a lot of the genomic science, right? Uh, to to talk about that with the Inuit partners, with the community partners, and, and how can that be used as an input for uh, improved polar bear management? Right. And in that workshop, you're then bringing all these different groups, right? You're bringing together scientists, Inuit, policymakers, government people, uh, all kinds of uh, stakes and, and right holders. So that workshop, that's, you know, in its core element, that's an ethical space of engagement. So that, right. that moment... So beyond just the content of what people are going to discuss is, so how do you create conditions for that workshop to provide this ethical right. space where, where people can, you know, go outside of these Western ways of doing per se, Yep. right? But how do you collaboratively create that space for this conversation where people can engage with each other as equals? So are you hoping down the track then, because I mean, there's very obvious way that this can be working on, say, the Bear Watch project, but are you hoping to be able to also provide an outline of a model that other people can use for other projects to get these relationships working better with scientists and uh, Indigenous? uh, I'm working with an existing model. You know, the the stuff that I'm bringing into Bear Watch is actually nothing new. People have been talking about this in critical theory for ages. But I think especially when you look at disciplines like biology or other natural sciences, um, you know, that's not where critical conversations, decolonial conversations are necessarily had, been had. Right. So what my research will hopefully contribute is to actually have a look and see, like, what happens when you really try to apply these models, right, in, in a discipline or an environment where so far they haven't been applied. Right, right. So, so I don't think content-wise or theory-wise, it's, it's, not, it's not new, but it's just how do we really do interdisciplinary research? And I think that, you know, it's easy to say, but it's really hard to do. Really hard to do. Well, if nothing else, with things that have been going on the last few years, we've got our best chance. You've got your best chance now of trying to get more people thinking this way with, you know, with truth and reconciliation and things. So we've got a better chance now. And if we don't make it work or figure out how to make it work now, it's a lost course, which hopefully that's not the case. So I really take my hat off to you for, like you said, this isn't new, but sometimes we need some someone to just highlight what the possibilities are. And so if we don't, if we don't see it, we never know. If we didn't have this conversation, I would never have known. (laughs) Yeah. And I think there's also a lot of people that talk about, you know, know, there's amazing stuff that's written, but, but, you know, what does it mean if we don't put it in practice? Right. Yes. Part of, of also doing that. So, like, what? You know, indeed, what does that mean? What does that look like? And you know, I'm not invested in in this might sound bad, but I'm not invested in the successful outcome. But I think that's also that aligns really well with indigenous ways of knowing and being, which is much more focused on the process. So, what are right. we? What are we learning in in trying to actually do this? Right. Um, right. And what does that say about? And I think some of our politicians need to learn some of this. (laughs) (laughs) 
but but I think it's great what you're doing. So thank you very much for sharing all of that. Before we go, though, I would like to ask you a little bit about one of your extracurriculars that you've written down here, which I think is absolutely fascinating. So you like to do drag and, and you've been a drag king, I guess, assuming that's in, in the Netherlands. Uh, what made you get into drag? Uh, so I've also, uh, I've, I think I've more drag now in Kingston than I've Oh, is that right? <laughs> yeah, I love it. I was performing every other week when I was still living there, um, and even a little bit into COVID. But then, you know, after a while, yeah, then things. Anymore. But yeah, I started drag not too long ago, actually, in 2019. Right. It was a workshop organized uh, in a local club here in Amsterdam. So this was before I went and started my PhD. And it's something that I just always was intrigued with. Right. I, 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 as a young kid, I saw a drag king in a BBC series and I was right. just, like, smitten. <laughs> um, but I just didn't know how to get started or, or how to do it or whatever. So then um, once that, once I saw that that workshop was there, I, I just jumped on the opportunity Jump. and never looked back. That's awesome. I mean, I used to go to a lot of drag shows when I was living in Sydney. Uh, most of them are drag queen shows, not drag king, but... I've always enjoyed uh, going to, to drag shows. So I take my hat off to you for doing that. Uh, and I'm glad that you're really enjoying it. And it kind of shows your artistic area as well, doesn't it? Yeah, it's really interesting for after having a career behind the scenes to actually take center stage, right? Right. It's, a, it's an interesting experience, which I never really gave a thought, but I really enjoy it. Well, that's good. Well, best of luck with that and, and keep enjoying it. And best of luck with your research. It's, I think it's it's really important what you're trying to do here. And like you said, it's not nothing new, but looking at it from different angles and things and seeing how you can make that process a little bit better. So thank you for doing that. And thank you for thinking about our polar bears. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a great project up there. Saskia, thank you very much for coming on. And like I said, good afternoon to you there in the Netherlands. And I really do appreciate you joining us today and putting your hand up, even though you're early in your in your PhD. But it's going to be a great one. So thank you for joining us today. Yeah, you're very welcome. I really enjoyed it. And uh, you have a great day as well. Thank you. Thank you very much. So that's it, everyone. A, another grad chat sadly comes to an end. Don't forget, you can download the show tomorrow from either iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify or Stitcher. Just type in grad chat. Until next week, this is CJ the DJ signing off with a big hooray. Thank you for listening to this podcast produced at CFRC 101.9 FM at Queen's University, situated on the traditional territory of the Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee peoples and brought to you by the generous support of the Faculty of Engineering and Applied Science.